Well, good morning. How are you all doing? Good. It's great to be with you again. Uh, last week we uh, were in Jonah chapter 1. We finished it off today. We're in Jonah chapter 2. Uh, so before we, we start there, uh, I'm going to ask Kaylee to help me with something. Uh, I've got uh, just a copy of Jonah's prayer here that I would like you to give to everyone that's in the congregation. Uh, it's just taken straight from the Bible. There's nothing speci- special or fancy done with it. Uh, but I want you just to keep that on you and maybe uh, at the end of the service, take it home, put it on your refrigerator if you're a, a fridge kind of person. I know our family is. And what we're going to do uh, is we're just going to go through Jonah chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. If you're using a core Bible, it's on page 775. Uh, that will be the, the Bible in front of you, in the, uh, the seat back. Uh, so Jonah chapter 2. Uh, but what we're going to do first is we're going to look at last week. And so I've got a couple of things just on the, on the slide here. So we'll look at last week. Uh, we looked at three major points. Number one from last week is being afraid is okay. The sailors were terrified. Jonah was uh, scared a little bit. But being afraid is okay. It's how you respond to God that matters. Number two, when someone is sent from God, uh, you should really listen to them. And number three, you should lead with truth. And so getting into this week, there's just a couple of things about Jonah chapter two that you need to know straight off the bat. Uh, It's called sometimes the Psalm of Jonah. It is a prayer uh, that was written down from Jonah's time inside of the fish. Now, To be completely fair with you, we don't exactly know what this looks like. I doubt that Jonah had uh, some pen and uh, parchment inside the the, uh, fish's stomach while he was traveling. So maybe this is him writing it down after the fact, his best recollection. Uh, I don't really know exactly when he wrote this down, if he did, uh, or how he wrote it down. But what we do know is that it was inspired by God. It was deemed by the, the Hebrew rabbis to be inspired of God. And so they included it in the Old Testament canon. And when we became Christians, we took that Old Testament canon and included it in our Bible. So we don't exactly know how this was recorded, but we do know that it is from God's word and it is good. And so Jonah chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1 and just work our way through it. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Jonah prayed to the Lord God from the belly of the fish. And so right off, we're going to see something here that Jonah has not yet done in the book of Jonah. And that is, this is the first time that Jonah prays or seeks the will of God. And so that's actually going to pop up on the next slide there. This is the first time in this story that we see that Jonah seeks after the Lord. Now, what's interesting about this is Jonah is what? A a prophet. His job is to communicate with God, to get God's instructions and communicate that to the people around him according to God's will. And this is the first time that this particular book of the Bible says that Jonah sought or prayed to God, that he sought the will of God. And so... What's really interesting here is where is Jonah at this point? He's been thrown off the side of the boat in the tempestuous sea, and he has been swallowed by a great fish. He's in the fish's stomach, and now he decides that it might be a good idea if he talked to God. 
let's be honest, how many of us are exactly like Jonah? That it takes being in the belly of the fish before we start communicating with the God who sent the storm and sent the fish to get our attention. And so really what's what I find interesting about this is straight off chapter 2 starts out with saying, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So suddenly he's communicating, or in other words, God finally said, do I have your attention now? And, and how many times in our lives does it have to get to this point for God to say, do I have your attention? Like, like are we communicating here? Do I have to throw you off the side of the boat? Do I have to uh, uh, swallow you by a great fish to finally get your attention? And so finally, Jonah can spend some time in prayer. Verse 2 says this. Jonah saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, I've got a, a new presentation software that we like to play around with, so we're going to skip to the next slide, and it's going to do something really interesting. Uh, it, it, it fill in the blanks. I like this as a, as a concept uh, because it might mean you, you might pay a little bit more attention to some of the words that I really want you to pay attention. We just read this. It says what? I what out to the Lord. What did Jonah have to do? Cried or called out to the Lord. And out of my distress, he answered me. If, if, you, if you are paying attention in your Bibles, we just read that. So you could just read what the scripture says and it's right there. Just a little, uh, a little trick. So I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. So skip along a couple of slides and they're going to fill, fill in for us. I called out to the Lord. I called out. This is a, a word that means to physically, verbally call out. Uh, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times that when things go wrong, we pray, pray silently in our heads and we think that's fine. And it is fine for most things. And we just say, in our heads, dear Lord, thank you for this day. Great. We're going to And we go. Like that's sort of the prayer that we have in the back of our heads. But when something really, really, really bad happens, we verbally call out to God in our... Uh, in our isolation in our solitude when we're alone we physically cry out and we say god why is this happening to me jonah's got to the point where he is verbally calling out to the lord in his what was the next word distress let's fill that word in so he calls out in his distress now what's really interesting about we'll get to this word distress it's very very interesting uh the hebrew word in this particular passage. So he called out in my distress and he answered me. So let's fill in those next two boxes there. So he called out in my distress and he answered me. I wanted to use this to get your attention. I wanted to use this particular thing so to get it rooted in your mind what's happening in this particular instance. He called out to the Lord in his distress and the Lord answered me. So first we want to look at this uh, phrase, in my distress. So if you throw up the next slide onto the screen, in my distress. Now what's really interesting about this particular uh, phrase is the word distress and exactly what that word means. In fact, uh, if you're interested, I think I've got it up on the next slide. The word here for distress is the Hebrew word Sarah. 
So if you ever want to know what the word Sarah or the name Sarah means, it's actually Hebrew, and it means distress. But what's interesting is it's not just normal distress. This isn't like the barista at Starbucks messed up my order and burnt my coffee. Or it, That's not what the distress we're talking about. The actual word distress here in Hebrew, uh, and I think I've got the definition here, uh, is used when a woman is giving birth. And it means to travail childbirth. And it means the distress and the labor of childbirth. And so when Jonah cries out to the Lord in his distress, he's using a word that specifically relates to childbirth. He's saying in the same way that a woman who carries a child to term and then goes to the hospital and she decides she's not going to have a C-section or uh, an epidural uh, and she's going to push out this child. Now, some of you mothers in the, in the congregation have had long labors, many hours long some of you were blessed with shorter labors where the baby was just like, whoop, out we go. But for some of you, they were long labors. I don't know if children do that when they pop out. I'm not a dad. I've never had a kid. <laughs> I assume that when a child comes out, they're ready to start tap dancing and flicking their fingers. Like, that's what I assume. Uh, I'm completely making this up as I go. But it, it's a word that is used to describe that intensity over those hours of labor. And so this particular word literally means uh, to, to I, I, when, when Jonah calls out in his agony, his prolonged, constant suffering, enduring of pain, that the Lord answered him. He says, in my distress, in my agony, as if I'm going through labor, I called on God and he answered me. How many of you have had these moments in your life? Maybe you're going through it right now when you're in a funk, in a despair, and you call out to God, and you feel like, God, are you just, are you there? God, are you, are you with me? In my distress, I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Another interesting word here is the word Sheol, uh, which will be on the next slide. There we go. The word Sheol is the Hebrew equivalent of hell. Uh, it means, directly translated, it means the pit. The Sheol is the, the place where they believed if you died and didn't have a relationship with God, you went here to wait for the judgment at the end of time. So it wasn't exactly equivalent to hell, but it was the closest thing that the Hebrews had. And so what Jonah here is really interestingly saying is he's saying, from the furthest I can possibly get from the presence of God, that is Sheol. This is, if you imagine it on a vertical scale, remembering that Hebrews were very visual people, that if you imagine Abraham or uh, Abraham's bosom or Abraham's promise up at the top, which is their equivalent of heaven. You've got earth here. You've got Sheol down here. He is physically as far away from the presence of God as he can get. That's where Jonah thinks he is right now. He thinks he is no longer in the presence of God. He thinks he's far, far away from God. And so in the depth of hell or Sheol is where he decides to cry out to God. I really wish for your sake 
You don't get to the depths of hell before you start crying out to God. Sometimes you will get there, and I'm not talking literally, I'm talking metaphorically, that you don't get into that spiral of depression and fear and anxiety where everything in your life is falling apart before you finally, finally call out to God. You can do it much sooner than that. You don't have to wait until you're in Sheol before you cry out to God. From the point in which he was furthest from God, from the place where he was dejected, depressed, and downcast, from the place where he was helpless and desperate and afraid and hurting, from Sheol I called out to God. Are are you getting a sense of where Jonah is right now? Not physically, we know physically he's in the belly of the fish. But from this prayer, can you get an idea of where his brain is at, where his spirit is, where his soul is, what he's feeling. Uh, uh, Too often, when we look at Jonah, uh, we said a couple of weeks ago that Jonah is someone sometimes called the wayward prophet, and we look at him from the outside and we're like, oh yeah, it was Jonah, he ran from God, tee-hee-hee, and we don't really look at Jonah as a real person who really existed. But the reality is he was a person like you and me. He wasn't some superhero prophet The people of the Bible were not superheroes. They were regular people. And so I I want you to imagine what Jonah's going through right here and maybe uh, contrast that with what you're going on in your own lives. That from the depths of Sheol, he calls out. And I, I think this is brilliant. And he answered. So, so. We've established that Jonah right now, he thinks he's in the depths of Sheol. He thinks he's as far away from God's presence as he can physically get. And he cries out to God in that state of mind, in that depression, in that distress. He calls out to God, and what does God do? He answers. No no one wants to say amen. No one wants to say anything there, right? He answers. Okay. So some of you aren't as impressed with this as you should be, and so because of that fact, we're going to spend a couple more minutes on this. I warned you when I took over this appointment that if you don't agree with me on a point, I'm going to hammer it in until you do. And so because some of you aren't impressed, the God who created the universe, the God who spoke everything into existence, the God who holds all of existence in the palms of his hands, yet still cares about you, heard the cries of Jonah in his distress from the bottom of Sheol, and that God answered. That's better. Don't make me preach angry. I will get there. God answers. If this isn't the best thing about our salvation, if this isn't one of the best things about our faith, the fact that we can call out to God whenever, wherever we are, and that God answers. In the depths of Sheol, God answers. And here's what's really interesting, is the equivalence of being in Sheol, saying that I was as good as dead, and yet my God caused me to be born again. Do you want to know some of the times when we get these these word pictures uh, in the Christian church of being born again? 
It's not just from, from Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus that you get this word picture. It's not just that one conversation. This idea threads throughout all of Judaism as well, that from the depths of Sheol, when we're far and far away from God, God, in my distress, the act of giving birth or being in labor, God causes me to be born again. He causes me then to move away from Sheol and move into his presence. Jonah says here that I was as good as dead and God caused me to be born again. Verse 3 through 6. For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land, whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Here, Jonah very wisely recognizes and acknowledges that even though it was the sailors that physically threw him overboard, it was the providence and the hand of God that caused it to happen. Here, Jonah is saying, yes, these guys, they threw me over, but it was because I fled from the Lord. I went down to Tarshish and got on a boat to Tarshish and started traveling to Tarshish. Remember, it was said three times in the first chapter of Jonah that because I did that and I fled from the presence of God that he caused the tempestuous oceans to rise and for the sailors to fear for their lives, God caused that to happen and so he ordained that I be thrown into the sea. So even though he, said, he knows that it was the uh, sailors who threw him over again, overboard, he here is saying that it was the hand of God that caused it to happen. Sometimes the act of being thrown into the ocean can seem like a very violent, very aggressive act that maybe you think that doesn't really match up to God's nature and character. But what I want you to ask yourself is this question. From the moment that Jonah got on board that boat, was his life in danger? No. no. His life wasn't in danger. He got thrown into a tempestuous ocean, and I'm still in love with that word, tempestuous. He got thrown into this ocean. Was his life in danger then? No. No. Because even though to someone on the outside looking into this story, you would say, yeah, his life was in danger. God had ordained a giant fish to come and swallow Jonah and to take him safely to where he was supposed to be going. And so Jonah here, even though it real, uh, in, in this particular verse, it sounds like he's blaming God for him being thrown overboard. Really what he's doing is acknowledging the fact that God is getting his attention by throwing him overboard. In verse 4, Jonah says that he longs to see the temple of God again. This is a, a, whenever you see someone longing to see the temple of God, the key word here, the, the key understanding is this last phrase, that he longs again to be in the presence of the Lord. Hebrews saw the temple of the Lord as the place where the physical manifestation of God dwelt in the, in the actual inner sanctum, in the holies of holies. And so to long to see the temple of God again is actually a longing to be in the presence of God again. 
And so Jonah, who's saying right now, I'm in the pit of Sheol, as far away from the presence of the Lord as I can possibly get, I long to see the Lord's presence again. I want to traverse that distance and get back into the graces of God, get back into his salvation, get back into his presence. Jonah's prayer is the equivalent of the sinner's prayer. He is saying that he wants to move from a place of hell, from a place of eternal separation from God, and move back into the presence of God. And again, verse 6 says this. Fill in the blank. Yet you. In verse 6 it will say, yet you. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because Jonah is now flipping the narrative. Uh, He's talked a little bit about himself, where he is, what he's doing, and now he's flipping it to talk about God. And this is really important. In structured prayer, that when we pray, we have to acknowledge the person and work of God. We have to acknowledge who God is, who God is in our lives, what he's done for us, the graces that have come from God, the mercies that have come from God. Because, and and this may seem like a really basic, simple thing, so just stay with me. When you dwell on negative things, negative things are all you see. When you start focusing on the character and nature and work of God, you see how he's blessed you in your life. And suddenly you start seeing the positive things. And now, that's not to say that the negative things that you're going through have no place and there is a place for them and you can dwell in them and pray about them and over them and ask for intervention from the Lord. You can do all that. But when you dwell solely on those things, it is a dark spiral that doesn't have a bottom. And you will just fall and fall and fall and fall. But when you shift the focus away from that and shift your focus onto God, onto who God is, what he's done for you, suddenly you start seeing the blessings that God has placed in your lives. I have an incredible blessing in my life. Her name is Nikki. It's not, it's not you. Nikki is the person that God has put into my life to move me away from certain things in my life that were sinful. Uh, I don't know if you know this about me. Uh, I can be honest because church is a place for honesty. Uh, I am by nature a very arrogant person. I always think that I'm right. Uh, I like everything to run on my time, and I like everything to run the way that I structured it. I'm not sure if you knew this about me or not. When I'm up the back at 11.05 and I'm like giving my wife the tap on the wrist signal saying she's taking too long with announcements because I like everything to be on my time. Uh, Those things in my life, arrogance is a sinful thing. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, God puts someone into my life who chips away at my arrogance. And that's my wife. I don't know if you've got someone in your life that does that for you. Uh, It can be a spouse. It can be parents. It could be children. It could be friends. I don't know who it is. But there's people in your life that God has given you uh, to work on things for you and with you. Uh, there are times in my life when I feel like I'm in that spiral when things are not going right and through the power of the Holy Spirit and through my faith in God I have an incredibly loving and faithful and godly wife who is there to help me refocus my attention 
just a little bit of interesting thing. None of that was in my notes. He refocuses the prayer onto God. Jonah chapter 2, verses 7. When my life was fainting away, and I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. My prayer rose from the depths of Sheol, from as far away from the presence of God as you can possibly get. My prayer rose. Too many people think that when you go off the train tracks and you've derailed, that you need to get your life back onto the train tracks before you can start praying to God. From the depths of Sheol, Jonah's prayer rose to the presence of the Most High God. He prayed from the dirty stomach of a fish with seaweed wrapped around his noggin in a place where he didn't know if he was going to live or die, but he was going to trust in the Lord. And from that place, he prayed to God and his prayer rose into the very presence of God. And here's what's fascinating about that. When you and I pray, Our prayers come out in a physical manner, but in a spiritual sense, they are taken by the power of the Holy Spirit into the presence of God. And through our adoption into Jesus Christ, Jesus takes those prayers to the Father and presents them to the Father. That's what Scripture says happens. And I don't know how much of that is metaphor and how much of that is an actual representation of what happens. But I want you to get this visual picture in your head that the Bible says that our prayers are like a fragrant offering to the Lord. So in the same way that the high priest would take a bowl of incense into the holy place and he would take that and burn it on the altar of incense in the same way that that fragrance, that that smell would go into the nostrils and would fill the place, and you can get away from that smell. In that way, your prayers enter the temples of heaven into the presence of God. And that God who created the universe takes those fragrant offerings of prayers and he hears them and he listens and he responds. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. The holy temple, again, is the place where God dwells. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Verse 8 here, and I don't have a slide for this, but I just want to touch on this very briefly. Vain idols. 
is not a, a couple of words that we can use loosely here. You have to understand that even in Christianity, there are things that get in, your, in the way of your relationship with God. There are things that you rely on instead of a relationship with Jesus. Maybe it is knowing all the right words to the right songs. Maybe it's uh, you rely on people seeing you in the same chair every week. This is my chair. This is where I sit, and no one can displace me from this particular chair. Uh, maybe for you it is uh, relying on, on how much money you're putting into the offering plate as, in, as instead of relying on the salvation that comes from God. There are idols within the Christian church today. There are idols within the Salvation Army today that take place of the right worship of God. We worship traditions rather than the Almighty God. Traditions have a place in the church. Uh, there is a place for the things that we do. It gets us into a frame of mind to worship. And so traditions, when by themselves uh, are an okay thing, when we elevate them higher than they should be, they become a God thing. Uh, instead of a, 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 They become an evil thing. They become like gods to us. And we rely on those things. A good thing that becomes a God thing becomes a dead, evil, sinful thing. Do you get that distinction, that difference? So I'm not saying that all, uh, all of our traditions here are bad. We should throw them all out. That's not what I'm saying. But when you rely on traditions rather than on the Bible and Jesus Christ, you can get into a whole lot of trouble. And here in verse 8, he says that those are, those, there are people who pay regard to vain idols and forsake their hope of steadfast love. Because here's what's really sad about that is you don't need idols. All you have to do is rely on the steadfast love of God. It seems really simple. And, and maybe it's because of our human natures that we don't like free gifts and we don't trust a free gift, uh, gift, that we don't rely on the steadfast love of God, that all you have to do is repent of your sins and believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And that seems too easy. And so we're like, are you sure that's it? Well, I'll, I'll have to make sure that I do this and I'll have to make sure that I bring my temple to church and I have to make sure that I do this and I sing this and I do that and I do this. And we add all these layers and layers and layers and layers on top of it. But the reality is that the word of God says all you need to be saved is to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it. And here, Jonah is in the depth of the whale. In a stomach with seaweed around his head. And he says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving... When you're in the depths of Sheol, are you thankful? Not usually. Usually you are spiraling into depression and despair. But he says with a voice of thanksgiving. And so this is not saying that you have to be happy, happy, positive Polly all the time and sunshine, rainbows and lollipops because you will have genuine things in your life that will drag you down and you are allowed to have those things in your life. Those are the things that come along by being human. But the reality from Scripture is, is even in those places, you can lift your prayers from the pit of Sheol up into the presence of the Lord. And then he ends with this verse. This statement, rather. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
You are not saved by the things that you do. You are not saved by how many times you come to church. You are not saved by how much money you put in the offering plate. You are not saved by knowing all the words to all the songs and all the hymn books. You are saved from God. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and as such, it is the free gift that he has offered to all people through his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so we're ending our time together today, but I just want to end with this note and this prayer. That from the depths of Sheol that you might find yourself in, I want to remind you to lift your prayers to the presence of God in his holy temple because he will hear you and he will be faithful and he will rescue you. Because verse 10 says then that the fish vomited Jonah up onto the shore. But you'll learn more about that next week. Amen?